But as we've been studying in the book of Ephesians, talking about the road to spiritual growth, you know, we started the first week looking in Ephesians 1 that, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That we've been chosen, we've been elected, we've been redeemed, we've been given the Spirit. All of these things so that we will be holy for God's glory. And so none of this is about us, none of this is about making city church look good, none of this is about making anybody here look good. It's all about honoring and bringing glory to God. In Colossians chapter 2, there's a, there's a verse that talks about, it almost basically what it's saying is it's billboarding Christ to the world. And uh, so when you drive down, if you think about it, when you pass billboards on the side of the road, most of the time, you don't even hardly notice them. They're there to, to draw your attention. It draws your attention when it changes. All of a sudden, you realize there's something different. Or it draws your attention if there's been a bad windstorm and one big piece of it's dangling down and all those things. But the idea here is we are called upon to billboard God's glory to the world. And, and we, when we sin, the issue there is it becomes something is dangling down and it's making the billboard look bad. So, and this has nothing to do, this is not even part of my sermon, I got off on a tangent, but the point is, we're here to glorify God. We're to lift Him up and honor Him. And then we talked about He, he has given us hope. And, and it's not like hope that we talk about, well, I sure hope that it doesn't rain this week, or I sure hope it doesn't snow this week, or I sure hope it gets warmer today. Um, those kind of things. This is, the hope is this assured idea that the anchor is in the heavens. Remember that, that that anchor is sure based on what Christ has accomplished for us. And then last week, Brian reminded us that really it comes down to it's nothing about us. It's not that we can just be good enough. We are dead. And without Christ reviving our spirits and changing us and making us alive, we are dead without Christ. And so we, we can't just decide to be better. So as we're getting into the message this morning, and we think through something that Paul is going to be talking about what happens here, I want us to real quickly look at... My, my thing is messed up. Yeah, all right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. And it should be a familiar passage to us, but what it says here is, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new comes. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. We're totally new. Remember, last week we had the quote by J.C. Ryle, and it says this, To be born again is, as it were, to enter upon a new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, New affections, new likings, 
new dislikings, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love to things once hated, new hatred to things once loved, new thoughts of God and of ourselves and the world and the life to come and salvation. He says we have been made new. We have been brought from death to life. Now, as far as the world is concerned, we're the same person. You know, I'm still Wade Hobbs. I didn't change from being Wade Hobbs. But God changed who I am ultimately. He changed my position with Him by saving me. I'm no longer dead in sin, but I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. All these things are true because I'm now a new creation. But He he gives us a reason why we're this new creation. He says, and I'm sorry... My, my iPad's moving slow this morning. So we are a new creation. The oldest passed away. Behold, the new comes. Is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. See, we think about reconciliation. And even this passage is used many times in missions conferences. That the idea is we're to take the message of reconciliation to the world. But I've been around church all my life. And I've been at churches that I've seen a lot of church plants, which usually means I got ticked off at the pastor and I started my church down the street. I can remember one of the the very first church I ever served as a youth pastor. They had been through a split maybe a year earlier before that. And uh, the the people in the the split, in the business meeting, (laughs) they, they even got to blows in the business meeting. And so they went, you know, down the street and started Friendship Baptist Church. I always thought, I always thought that was good. You know, it was kind of, kind of a unique title. I, you know, I guess it was because they were the friends who stuck together versus the pastor who, the, who left at the building. But, but the point is, it's not just reconciling the world to himself. That's part of our message is reconciliation of people who are dead in their sins. But we also need to understand that there's a reconciliation that happens in the body of Christ. That something should happen within us and who we are in Christ. He goes on to say, He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, I know you've heard me say all the time, you know, we, we give social media a hard time. And I realize I'm on social media, and I think there's good that can come from social media. But in the last few years especially, some things that I've seen on social media really bother me. Because now, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and all these different things, YouTube and podcasts and books and the church now is airing its dirty laundry to the world. If I have a problem with something a pastor says, rather than going and sitting down with that pastor and saying, hey, ah, you know, I, I, you said this, what do you mean, how can we work through this? I just post it on Facebook. You know, this week so-and-so said this, and he's a heretic. Well, you know, we've got to be careful there. And I'm not saying there's not times we need to point out to the world, that something wrong is being said. But I think we begin to drag each other through the mud, and the world says, I don't want any part of that. 
Lost people say, they're no different than us. Why should I go to that church? Why should I be involved with that when they're doing the exact same things as everybody else? It's no different than the politics. You know, you've got Democrats who are arguing about Republicans, Republicans who are arguing about Democrats, the independents are arguing about everybody. And so we have all these things going on. So then I disagree with a local pastor, I disagree with a well-known pastor, and i got to post on Facebook how he's a heretic. And there may be things that we need to address and deal with, but is social media the place? But then we come to our passage for this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Let's read what that says. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's talking about the body of Christ here. Now granted, in Ephesians, he's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews. Remember we talked about it the first week. that It's written to a group predominantly of Gentiles in this church. And he's, re- he's reminding them of who they were and the fact that they were not part. They were separated out. The Jews were the chosen people. The Jews were the ones who, who were God's uh, elect people that, that had all these privileges and, and honors. And so now he's saying, you have that too. We saw that in Ephesians 1. But now he's coming back and just reminding them. We talked last week about you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so he's just reminding them now what this whole idea of the church means. Because what happens is, when we first moved to Texas, you know, there was this, it was really weird. I mean, I'm not one who goes around finding devils behind, under, behind rocks and everything. And every time my car doesn't start, it's because there's a demon in there messing with the wires. But, but there was something about Palestine when I first moved there that when you drove into town, there was just kind of a a spirit in the town that just, for lack of a better way of saying it, more of an oppressive type spirit. And we even had uh, the Women of Faith Conference. They, they came to Palestine, and one of the ladies got up and said, there's a spirit of division in this town. She didn't even know anything about the town. So I kept thinking, what... What is it about Palestine? I mean, there's a church on every corner. Why is there this 
this feeling. So I began to do history on the town. And the town was actually started as Palestine, Texas, but it was started by a guy who got kicked out of Palestine, Illinois. So he moved to Texas, named it Palestine, because he didn't want to be the same name as the city he got kicked out of. Um, And I thought, well, why was he kicked out of Palestine, Illinois? Well, he was a local pastor, and he was teaching a theology called two-seedism. Two-seedism theology is basically you're either born in Cain's family, or you're born in Seth's family, and there's no getting out of either one. Kind of a Extreme double predestination Calvinism. That you're, you're stuck. And so you would hear it. You'd talk to people and they'd say, well that family has always been like this. If you have the last, this last name, you're always gonna be in trouble. There's always gonna be, and so, and I started thinking about it. I've been in church all my life and you know what, I've heard that. Not just in Palestine. They're never going to change. Those people can't change. And that's kind of the, the attitude that the Jews had towards the Gentiles. You're, you're never going to change. Nothing can happen. You're a dog, is what the Jews called them. And so we've got to begin to realize that there's nobody out there that Christ can't change. We think maybe they can't. But in our mindset, we begin to think, well, we're all involved in church because we're good people. And God saved us because we're good and brought us together. We all been nice and we pay our taxes and we have good families. And so God's right. Yeah. But those people, God can't move in their lives. And that's what Paul's saying here is just remember. See, I think all of us need to remember where we were. Now, he's talking to the Jew, I mean the Gentiles here. He says, you were at that time uh, uncircumcised by those who were circumcised. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were separated from Christ. You were strangers to the covenant. You had no hope and without God in the world. That didn't just describe the Gentiles. Some parts of that did as far as not being part of the commonwealth of Israel. But Paul says in Romans 3... There's none who is good. There's none who does righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By God's grace, He saved me as a small child. And by God's grace, He brought me up in a family that told me about Him. But it's all by His grace. It's not because I was a good kid. It's not because He he showed favor on me because I had something in me that made Him show me favor. He showed favor because of who He is. And so Paul's saying, you, you were like this. Well, we need to always remember where we were. God didn't save us because we're good. And so when we make judgments and in our minds think that person's never going to change, and boy, I sure hope they don't come to city church. And Man, we're, we're treading on thin ice. We've got to look at the Scriptures and realize where we were. But we also need to remember God's grace. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, that have been brought near 
the way it's worded in the original is it's saying it's a done deal. It's not going away. He has saved us. He has brought us near. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. Through Christ, He has brought us near. We need to remember that. None of us would be here if it wasn't for God's grace. And it's not because we're good. It's because God's grace. Because we need to remember Christ's work. He says, verse 14 through 17, For He Himself, talking about Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Four different times in three verses the word peace is used. I think Paul's trying to make a point. First he says Christ is our peace. The only way that we can get along with one another, the only way that that people can be brought together is because of what Christ has accomplished. He is our peace. He is the reason we're here today. Not because of us, but because of Him. He is our peace. He made peace. He made peace between us and God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore anyone who is justified has peace with God. We have peace with God. Then He preached peace to us. He proclaimed peace. He brought them together. It says He made us one new man. Remember? We're new creation. The oldest passed away. Behold, all things become new. We use that many times to talk about ourselves personally. And that is true. But the church is also a new creation. This is a whole unique thing that God is doing. We don't think about it because it's been around since we've been around. But this was new to the disciples. This was new to the world. They didn't understand it. And it didn't make sense that all of a sudden Jews and Gentiles were together. You remember Acts chapter 13. You know, Peter gets a message that says, Hey, you need to go to this guy's house. And Peter's going, Nah, I'm not sure about this. He's a Gentile. And you say, well, Peter went anyway. He was obedient to God. What was the first thing Peter said when he got to their house? You know, I'm not supposed to be here. (laughs) You know, I really, if it was up to me, I wouldn't be talking to you guys. But God told me I had to. You know, I had this dream, and these guys showed up at my door. Otherwise, I'd still be back at my house just chilling out. That was a little bit of a paraphrase. But but he's saying... He's still got, he's doing it because God told him to, but there's still something in him that says, these are Gentiles. Can God really move in their hearts? These are people that God can't change them. And he preaches, and they all respond. And yeah, he has some issues later on where he gets a little afraid of the Jews that are coming around, but for the most part, He understands from that day forward. In Acts 15, he stands up and says, Hey, you guys know I I shouldn't have gone to him, but I went and 
And God moved in their hearts and lives. He, he saw there was a difference. They've been made new. He's brought us together. Colossians 1 says this. You don't have to turn there, but it's Colossians 1, 15-20 if you're taking notes. He, talking about Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the, first, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ. See, that's the message of reconciliation. Part of it is the message that we need to tell the world that you need to be reconciled with God because you're dead in your sins. And we share the gospel message. But part of it is we need to remind each other that we have been reconciled and we have a ministry of reconciliation. We have a ministry of in, inviting and accepting whoever comes our way. Now, I know that's not popular to say. But there's nobody out there that is beyond the reach of God. Steve Camp sang a song many years ago talking about dealing with AIDS victims. And he asked the question, do you think they've gone too far? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Is there anybody that we deal with on a regular basis or any group of people that we think about that we think they've gone too far? And there's no bringing them back. Because the minute we begin to think that way, we begin to think like the Jews thought of the Gentiles. There's no way they can come to Christ. There's no way God can work in their lives and in their hearts. But we need to remember what Christ has accomplished for us. We also need to remember the Father's availability. He says in verse 18, For through Him, Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All the persons of the Godhead are there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because of the work of God the Son, through the Holy Spirit, we have access to the Father. Hebrews 4, because we have a great high priest who has come through the heavens and has been tempted the same way we are yet without sin, we can boldly come before the throne of grace. If there's somebody out there that it's just hard for you to love, and I'm not necessarily talking about one individual as much as a group of people, then you need to come to the Father and say, Lord, give me your love for them. Help me to minister to them. Because God may call you to minister to them. He may change your heart. And I believe He can if you ask Him. And then we need to remember that we're a new family. And I know some of you are thinking grammatically should be you are a new family. But no, remember your new family. Not remember you are a new family. So I just thought of that as I was reading it myself. (laughs) 
remember your new family, that we are all in this together. For through him we both have access to in one spirit to the Father. So then we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in his spirit. We're one new place. We're all in this family together. Not based on what we are and how good we are, based on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What does that mean? Based on the foundation of the truth that we see right here. With Christ being the cornerstone, we're, being a, we're a building being built up for His honor and for His glory. All of this in His Spirit. R. Kent Hughes says this, We are God's masterwork, a new race in Jesus Christ. This must not be watered down. This is the answer to alienation, to racism, to prejudice, to hatred, to estrangement. The church should have no tolerance for alienation, racism, prejudice, and estrangement, and hatred, and backbiting, and finger-pointing. Anything else. But we justify it. Because those people are never going to change. We don't want those people coming to our church. I met with a church in Augusta back when, before I went to Texas, I, I interviewed with a church in Augusta. They wanted me to come because their neighborhood was transitioning and they were an older white congregation that wanted me to come help reach the, con- the neighborhood. So I went down to visit and they had just spilt, spent a little over a million dollars to renovate their sanctuary. And I said, guys, I hear your heart and I believe that's really what you think you want to do. But if you hire me within six months, you're going to fire me. Because the kids and the people I'm going to bring into this million dollar sanctuary, some of them are going to have dirty shoes on and get mud on this floor. Some of them might even write in your hymnals. Some of them, yeah, we, I was at a church in, in Rouse, Atlanta that they came to church one Sunday and right down the middle of the hall was bike tracks where a kid had been riding his bike and sliding to a stop on the carpet. <laughs> you know, those kind of things. You say you want to reach people, but do you really? Are you going to accept people no matter what? I can remember sitting at a church service in Fort Worth, Texas, that they minister to the homeless. And I got a group of teenagers, which is already, I've got to keep everybody behaving because, you know, sometimes you have some different things that are happening with the homeless group. Well, I mean, there's, we're sitting in the middle of the church service, and one lady is scratching the lady next to her back. But she's got her shirt pulled up to her neck and she's scratching her bare back during the service. And I'm going, okay, this is different than most church services I've been in. But are we going to minister to anybody? 
Are we truly going to be that place where reconciliation happens, where peace is true? That we can minister to whoever comes our way. 